So welcome everyone to Human-Centered Security. I am joined by Michael Snell, who is a UX research lead at JP Morgan Chase. Welcome, Michael. I am super excited to talk to you, especially because we have so much in common and we have, you know, a lot of the same, um, I think, wishes for the UX community when it comes to security. We face some of the same challenges. So I'm super excited to unpack that with you. And this will be a, a really exciting conversation. To start yeah. us off, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> to start no, us off, <laughs> to start us off can, you, can you give us a little bit about your background and what led you to become a UX research lead at JP Morgan Chase? Um, yeah, well, I can, I can give you my life story in short, uh, for sure. <laughs> um, I, I actually got a bachelor's degree in music education, um, and taught in high school, uh, to start my career in UX off. So that's my, that's the strange sort of beginning of my path. And I think I got, you know, really lucky. I was surrounded by people in that high school who really wanted to support me and, I actually had a mom who had been in teaching for 40 years, and she sort of turned to me several times um, while I was, well, honestly, frankly, throughout my childhood, but certainly in the in the four or so years leading up to me being a high school teacher, and she would tell me, you know, education's not the same as it used to be, and she she really encouraged me, uh, you know, to look elsewhere. Um, and, you know, teachers are my heroes. And, you know, I, I had a lot of models in my childhood who were excellent teachers, and they were just the best kinds of people who you could imagine. And I was like, but I want to be like them. Um, because I want to be able to mold, you know, young minds, I guess, you know, but I also just in general, I had had a, an excellent experience, you know, a really powerful experience. Uh, you know, starting in middle school, as people do, and going through high school, where I was, you know, I was really into my instrument. I was practicing all the time. The band room was my second home. And um, and there were a lot of things going on in my family as well. And so I think it provided me an escape. Anyway, I wanted to give that to somebody. You know, I, I wanted to be that for, for kids because I understood it, you know. And, um, but my mom was right, you know, is the thing is, is that a lot of my behavior, a lot of what I was into uh, throughout grade school and a lot of what I was experiencing was actually, I mean, it was emblematic of a different way of thinking. Um, I was really interested in just such intense topics. Um, I could not have a normal conversation with anybody. I mean, I always wanted to go super, super, super deep. We would get into just you know, the backwaters of philosophy with any casual conversation that I would have uh, with my friends. And and my best friend, uh, you know, she was just one of these people who was like that, you know. And I guess I never put two and two together, you know, that, you know, th this is really something that you should explore is just talking about things with people. And certainly I never thought of myself as being in a product organization. Certainly I didn't really think of myself as being particularly interested in technology per se or anything. But I was really interested in really, really dense problems and talking through them and trying to take something that was really murky and disambiguating it and figuring out, well, 
what do we do about this? You know, and how, how, how can we improve people's lives? How can we sort of, how can we change this, this really big, complicated thing? I guess that was just sort of the mindset that I had. And so I went into psychology uh, for grad school. I got really lucky. Actually, I had a great mentor at, at the uh, University of Georgia, Keith Campbell. I am only name dropping him because uh, if anybody listens to the Joe Rogan podcast, he had an episode somewhat recently. And, and uh, you know, it, uh, it's a great episode, but he's a he's a great mentor. And something that I was interested in when I entered grad school was um, was uh, technology and the impact of technology on people's routines and behaviors and even their health. And so I studied dating apps at first uh, in grad school. That's I was just obsessed with this topic. I was I was wondering especially how apps like Grinder and Tinder how they influence people's sort of um, risky uh, sexual decision making. <laughs> you know, in rural areas, you had a lot more vulnerability uh, for the people who were using these apps. Um, people disclosing sort of their identities and everything and and uh you know it's not as easy to be gay in rural uh south in the rural southeast um and so we, we saw a lot of issues there and i thought while well, technology actually has a lot of implications doesn't it the way we design things even a dating app the the information that we make available to users of a dating app um about the other people on the platform the, the information that appears on the profile that this can mean uh, life or death for that person a year later. And you, d you don't see why uh, at first, you know, you're just like, this is just a dating app, you know, but you can take how someone uses a platform and you have to stretch that out and you can't just see it at the one point at which they're using the platform. You have to stretch it out over the course of days and months and years and you start to understand that this isn't just part of their daily routine. This is part of their life. This is part of who they are. And I thought that that was really fascinating. Um, and so, uh, so, the, so actually, my career is the quick part of this story. Is uh, I uh, I got an internship at Facebook, uh, largely after presenting uh, on some of this research that I just described. And uh, you know, I interned uh, in the marketplace. Uh, sort of the Facebook commerce uh, area of the company. I got an opportunity uh, after that to become a researcher at Verizon Connect. Verizon Connect's a really unique company because uh, they work with truckers and they work uh, with the transportation industry, uh, which not a lot of people think about. It's not the sexiest industry on earth, but they are responsible for getting everything that you have all of your groceries, your uh, furniture, everything to the place that it currently is, um, and probably to the place that it was before that. So I think, you know, truckers, I got to talk to a lot of truckers, and, and it was, I got a lot of meaning out of that, you know, it's like, we're impacting people who the rest of the world probably finds really easy to ignore. And these are people who are spending hours and hours on the road, thousands of miles per week, potentially. And uh, they made a big difference during the COVID-19 pandemic, too, uh, by getting us uh, the things that we needed into our grocery stores and vaccines, uh, places and everything. Uh, you know, after that, I, I had some opportunity to consult with Microsoft. 
And I've landed at J.P. Morgan Chase uh, largely because of my experience in compliance uh, and compliance frameworks uh, from Verizon Connect. So long story. Um, I ho ho hope that was. Uh, I, I find that listening to people's stories can sometimes people sometimes people want to hear the full story <laughs> because they want to know how did somebody get to where they are in UX because everybody forges their own path. So hopefully somebody listens listens to that and and sees themselves. Yeah, and then there, there's not like a straight line to becoming a, a user researcher, especially I feel like people who are who specialize in user research kind of have a long and, and winding path. I want to talk about what role do you have in security? So like you're a UX research lead, like that's your title, but like where does security come in? You know, at J.P. Morgan Chase, we're, we're a quickly growing UX team. Um, and... There's a whole area of the company that is basically, I mean, it, we call it DCE, but for all intents and purposes, this is the UX department. Um, you know, I want to say right now it must be seven or 800 strong. It, it, it's, uh, it's uh, somebody would probably call me out on that. It's probably less right this second. I, I think the aim is, is for us to be somewhere in that 700 to 800 range. That would put us as one of the largest UX organizations in the world, though. Um, you know, in due time here. And I think as part of that, we must have close to 100, maybe even more than 100 researchers at this point. And so we're organized into kind of, yeah, different lines of business, different departments. As far as security and authentication is covered by researchers within J.P. Morgan Chase, they're either aligned to write our, our product area which is here are the things that we have in place today, or here's the here are the things that we're considering, you know, putting in place some um, some changes that we're thinking about making, you know, to the way that we approach security and authentication today. We we have that 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 part of the company that that that's kind of the security and authentication product area. That's what I'm aligned to. I'm the lead researcher. I'm the UX research manager. I'm the head. Uh, researcher for 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 that area, um, and then we also have sort of this Palo Alto group, which is a kind of a pie in the sky. Let's figure out you know what the future of security and authentication looks like, not only at this firm, uh, but but just generally, you know, the problem of security and authentication, AI, what how that you know will figure into the to the solution in the future. That's so interesting. And uh, I'm guessing that the people listening, you know, if they're designers or researchers, they probably don't have as many people on the UX team as you do. But spoiler alert, I think that there's a ton of similarity in terms of the challenges that we face as a UX team, regardless of what the size is, when it, you know, yeah. especially when it comes to security. So one of the things that I found really fascinating about our conversation a few weeks ago was when you brought up that when you brought up the idea of like where UX or people on the UX team fit in in terms of security and you started to talk about it about you know where that fits in terms of JP Morgan Chase but you know how do we have a part in that security conversation, especially because I think sometimes UX people are intentionally or unintentionally kind of on the outskirts of those types of conversations. But like, what role do we play from your perspective? 
Mm. Okay. Yeah. 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 I see the spirit of your question here. Uh, and you're getting into the, the, some of the controversial elements of the job, really. It's, it's so interesting. Security um, will always be a problem. And security is a problem that always has had a solution of some kind. And if you think about what we would do to secure someone's stuff or to secure things, uh, you know, whether that be gold bars in Fort Knox um, or whether that be, you know, some government documents, you know, uh, in uh, a file cabinet somewhere that's just locked and behind a closed door that's locked, which is behind another closed door that's locked. There's always been this... Um, I don't know, the, this, the intuition uh, of somebody who's faced with a problem of security is that, you know, we ought to just come up with sort of analogs to the way we secure things in the real world, I guess. Um, and, and so what you see is that, okay, well, things are behind a locked door, or we put things in Fort Knox when we want to secure them in the, the sort of the analog world. And so I think that's the first place people go in their mind is, well, we need to put a login screen in front of something, put it behind a basically a locked door of some kind. Don't allow people to see this until they've provided some sort of information that they know. They set the secret passcode until they provided the key, um, et cetera, you know. And I mean, what we figured out over the last 30 years is that in, in the world of the Internet, in the digital world, uh, this is just not going to cut it. So the problem is so much more abstract. The problem doesn't just look like the way we think of security anymore. It actually is more of a privacy problem now than anything. And the privacy problem is really all about what are people comfortable with the rest of the world seeing? And then you get into this whole issue of like, well, okay, well, that's changing too. Because you can see people love sharing things about themselves on social media, but not necessarily their salary. Not necessarily how much money they make, not necessarily how much money's in their bank account, but even that's changing. You see that people are happy to share how much money they're winning or losing on um, Reddit forms for Wall Street. And well, I wonder if there's a like when you were talking about that, I was like, well, it's one thing if you personally disclose what that sort of stuff, as opposed to a company exposing that on your behalf, right? There so seems hiding. to be some. Yeah, go ahead. You're getting, you're exactly, exactly. This is where the UX is. This is where it is. And, you know, the, the sooner we all accept it, the sooner we accept it. I don't just mean within UX. I mean within our culture. <laughs> I mean within tech, broadly speaking. Um, the sooner we'll start solving the important problems. You know, this, this is not a, an entirely objective problem anymore. Before it felt so objective. You're like, there's a thing. We got to protect it. We got to secure it. We got to put it behind four walls and a moat, you know. But today, that is just not the case. Because the thing is, is that, you know, I, I put it this way. People's sensibilities about security and privacy are certainly changing. And it is up to us, uh, UXers, and, and certainly up to the collaboration that we have with others, up to the relationships that we nurture and build, how we approach this problem into the future, because we're not going to be able to, to approach it in the same way. We have to adopt new frameworks that help to explain um, the tension between security and privacy, especially between 
things that are sort of objectively true about about risk like here are some objective risks here is uh the objective level of risk that you know uh somebody will be able to actually you know guess a password or uh hack into this account with a brute force attack versus here's the subjective risk here is the level of willingness of an individual or of a group of people to share certain kinds of information about certain things. So, so yeah, as we, we've largely the collaboration that we have today is about that transition from it's a symptom of the phase where we think that the internet is maturing, but we're still very young uh, in terms of, you know, the internet and the digital age. And, and the thing is, is that we're still wrapping our heads around the transition between the analog world and the digital world. It is a migration of sorts. And so we're talking about how do we work together to migrate some of these security and privacy sort of frameworks in a way this, that we solve these problems from the analog world uh, to the digital world. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, and thinking about, this is making me think a lot about um, an episode I did with Kalia Young. I think it was one of my first episodes around identity and who, who you want to give certain information to and, and being more in control, you know, giving the user that, that control. Um, you brought risk up, uh, which is something that I think about a lot. And do people really understand the risks of sharing certain things or um you know the implications of some of the things that they do and i think that we're still working those things out but at the core what you're saying is these are all user experience issues you know these are not something that could be solely figured out by one team this is a collaborative effort there's the technical side right the things that you you can technically do there are technical implications security implications but there's also this kind of changing world that we're living in when it comes to security and privacy so what sort of recommendations do you have for people on ux teams to have more productive conversations with their product teams, with their security teams, when you know there sometimes is a little bit of tension. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something that that uh, you speaking just then uh, made me think of uh, the Stanford Design School has these resources available online. If if um, someone listening hasn't checked them out, I mean they're worth checking out. Um, they have. A resource. I want to say it's in the design school starter kit. They have a great explanation for what are design problems. And, you know, they're very, very straightforward about the fact that design problems are subjective, not objective. And so they give a, a good example that I think we can all uh, level set with, which is vaccines. Um, okay, like, you know, we as UXers should probably not weigh in on the conversation about what goes into that vaccine. That is really, really way, way outside of my subject matter expertise. I have no idea what should go in that vaccine. But here's what I do know. I do know that vaccines freak some people out. You know, I do realize, you know, even before 
um, the COVID vaccine release, for example, a lot of people were talking about it. Not so sure, you know, not so sure they want something to be stuck into their arm. You know, um, security is one of those things where you could, I don't know, you, you could just have the best security ever. I, I don't even know what it would look like, you know, but it could just be the most private, most secure thing. You could have all the settings in the world. In fact, okay, I will tell you this. I can't tell you this. Um, a lot of companies, not just JP Morgan's, but a lot of companies have created a lot of these resources, a lot of these tools for, for customers around security and privacy. Lots of settings, lots of dials that you can uh, change, lots of knobs uh, and everything. And, you know, the idea there. Um, Heidi, let me ask you this question. If when, when you think of this, when you think of giving the user a lot of options for their security and privacy settings, the way like Facebook does, you know, you can go back and there's like lots of menus and you can do it. What do you think was going through Facebook's mind when they provided all of those options? What's your interpretation of, of that? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm guessing where you're going with this is that a company like Facebook would think, oh, we're going to give them choice. Like we're going to give them all these options so that they're, you know, they can take they can take it into their own hands and they can make their own risk decisions. Oh, oh my gosh. You're, you're 100%. Okay. I think getting what I'm putting down here and, and that, <laughs> that is the whole, that's the whole game, isn't it? Is saying, oh, let's pat ourselves on the back. Look at how much, how much, how many, how much control the user has over their destiny here. We're going to, we're going to give the user this responsibility, you know, security and privacy. Oh my gosh. So complicated. Okay. Uh, get the user to do it. You know, the users, the user's going to do it now and we feel good, right? Because we're empowering the user. Right. But, um, what do you, what, I mean, uh, well, we can just keep having a conversation about what do you think the problem with this society? <laughs> I have talked about this. Yes, I, people don't do the things that you think they're going to do. They never go into the settings page. They never set up two-factor authentication. You know, they never, so there, there's a I, kind of a, a couple of levels. Like you're, you're, you're putting, you're essentially transferring the risk decisions to your end users assuming that they they have all the information that they need to make those types of decisions and putting the onus on them to take the action which sometimes is confusing or has a poor use, user experience in and of itself when we know very well you know if you don't force someone to enforce two factor authentication they probably never will yeah so i mean it's really interesting right i mean there's a there are a few things going on here. I, and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to start uh, a, a controversy or anything, but I do, I do challenge people who work in this space or who have the opportunity to make an impact in this space at their own company or in their own practice uh, in terms of security and privacy to think about this is one you know, uh, I, I don't know, a lot, a lot of UXers come from a design background, a lot come from an anthropology or a social science background, a psychology background, and a lot of people don't come from any of those backgrounds. And I think that one of the great things about UX is that you get to, if you go and you read um, 
you know, any of, of the material uh, that is available online, or if you go to any conferences, uh, if you hang out with other UXers, you get tapped into a UX community. I mean, the thing is, it is such a melting pot of kind of disciplines. It's, you get so many different types of people who know so much stuff about so many different things, you know, and, and, it, and it can be really stimulating, first of all, but it can also, um, it can also help us to make sure, I guess, that we're, we're covering our bases, you know, make sure that we're not, um, we're not missing some of the easy opportunities to help people, uh, maintain good security and privacy hygiene, so to speak. Um, I think that there's a couple of things that people really need to think about. One is uh, some of these principles in psychology. I mean, they operate uh, no matter what discipline you're in. I mean, first of all, I think we're projecting if we say, well, we don't really understand security and privacy, so let's give the choice to the users. And, and then let's call that user empowerment or customer empowerment. Um, I don't think that that's a healthy practice for a business. Uh, I think that that leads down, you know, a very, very narrow pathway toward uh, nowhere, frankly. Uh, I think that you can get trapped um, in a lot of conversations about how to give users more empowerment. If, if you make the conversation about, okay, yeah, what's the best way to empower users to take control of their own security and privacy? Y you realize you're narrowing the, the, the scope, uh, you're narrowing your aperture, you know, to only focus on what does that screen look like where all the settings and the controls and the knobs are, instead of thinking about, you know, what are the, what are the crucial behaviors that we want people to engage in? You know, do we want them to enroll in multi-factor authentication? I mean, we have a lot of people, you know, when it deals with banking transactions, things like that, who actually want two-factor authentication. They actually want multi-factor authentication. And the thing is, they, they'll tell us, I don't even know where to turn this on. I don't even know how to do that, you know? And that reveals, you know, a need for security and privacy. You know, you mentioned that at the very least, UX needs to go beyond what, you know, making it more secure and private and really go deeper on what that actually means. So can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by saying that? Yeah. So um, in, I think any business, um, certainly for, you know, banks, I mean, I'm, I'm at, the world's largest financial institution outside of China. I mean, the thing is, it, it, really at the end of the day, you have some core journeys that are responsible for preserving, but also, you know, perhaps enabling. Um, really, if you're in any kind of business, in any successful business, you're going to be in the in the business of enablement, you know, you're going to be enabling the user to solve a problem in some specific way. Those are the products you have. Those are the solutions that you develop. Um, if you're at a mature business um, or if you're at a business that has a lot of products, uh, if you have a lot of different types of customers, if you have a lot of different segments of customers and things like that, you know, the thing is you still have these core journeys that you have to think about as, um, 
you have to think about as being the 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 kind of targets for any kind of security or privacy intervention, right? It can't always security and privacy can't always live in this abstract space where you're just talking about security and privacy just kind of like generally for the company or generally for all of the products or generally for all of the users. And in fact, I don't even think that you can talk about it, even if you get at a, that higher resolution for users, it, even if you get into personas and you get into, I don't, you know, it depends on, on what uh, d different companies and, and, and different uh, folks will have different sensibilities about personas. There may be behavioral archetypes, but in any way that you segment your customers, right, you're still going to be talking at maybe too high a level of, of abstraction if you just talk about like, well, you know, this type of user is going to be less likely to actually go in there and fiddle with their settings or something like that. I mean, that may be true. That may be true. And we, we've seen some of that work. We've We've definitely, you know, you can go online and you can see McKinsey has published articles, you know, about how there are people with different levels of security hygiene. A lot of this maps onto things like age, and digital literacy and all of this stuff. But it's still just not, it's not really actionable. It's, it's not really helping to empower, especially a product organization, right, to solve the problem of security and privacy. Um, and it's really not a productive way to contribute to the conversation, if I'm being super honest. I think that really, as you work with product or as you work with engineers, you know, other people who are trying to solve this problem, you'll see that they're inclined to stay in sort of this abstract space of security and privacy. And engineering is going to bring to the table a certain way of solving the problem. They're going to say, okay, here are the capabilities that we have. Here are the modernization efforts that are underway. We're migrating to this type of cloud or this type of infrastructure, right? They're going to say, here's what's technically possible, okay? Then you're going to have product people who come in and say, well, here's the way we're solving this problem today. Here are some of the incremental adjustments we can make to the way that we're solving the problem. Um, Here's what we're going to put on our roadmap. Here's what we have resources for. Here are our priorities. You know, they're going to set kind of a product strategy, you know. But, you know, if you think about it as like a pie, <laughs> as a big delicious pie, uh, then you'll, you'll see that, you know, tech owns their part, product owns their part, um, and the UX disciplines on their part of the pie. And the, and the part of the pie that you really own is not the same part of the pie. You've probably got 10, 15, 20 core journeys. You know, you really have to document what those are. You have to understand security and privacy and, and the experience of security and privacy over the course of that journey, what implications it has, what subjective risks there are that you have to mitigate, uh, even objective risks and what the best path to mitigation is. Um, and that's part of any good risk management practice, to be honest. Um, if anybody works in security and privacy, they really need to be uh, very aware of sort of common risk management processes. They always begin with, uh, with actually cataloging the risks themselves, identifying the risks. You can't solve for risks that you haven't identified, you know. And the way you identify risks is on a journey-by-journey -journey basis. The, 
the, the two different journeys are not going to have the same set of risks, you know. So, yeah, I think that that's the most important thing you bring to the collaboration if you're a UXer in, in security and privacy is that lens. I was jumping in my seat when you started to talk about this because I think this is so important. I loved how you unpacked all of that. And I, I just want to reinforce a few points that you made. One is making security and privacy less abstract. I, I thought that that was such a profound, profound thing to say. And I'm I'm not trying to blow smoke. Like I just, I think that's just something really important to call out to people on the UX team that, yeah, like you can, I mean, you can, security, privacy, like throw the words out, like, great, awesome. But like, until you really define what that means and what that means for your organization and thinking about risk and talking about risk management with your team, um, you can't really move forward. And then I loved that you said, you know, breaking this down into like breaking this down into a, something that's a little bit more palatable and, and and real, right? Like so, it's less abstract. You know, going off of that point in terms of where in this, where in the user journey, what does that piece, what does that piece look like? There are kind of core aspects, like maybe during onboarding for example, where this is going to be really, really important and it's going to help us make progress towards these security and privacy goals that we established from the onset. So hopefully I got that right. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So I guess my last question is, do you have any advice for people, you know, as they're kind of looking at this really big, hairy problem, you know, what, what might be their next first step? Um. Yeah. Well, in the spirit of what we were just talking about, I would not go one more quarter, certainly not one more year, not knowing what your core journeys are uh, that you need to secure. You know, that's the most important thing that you can do. Um, if you don't have those, uh, it is really from a UX perspective, it is uh, everything stops until this is done uh, sort of issue. And uh, the reason I say that is because, you know, again, product and engineering are bringing their own value to this process. If you don't trust that they can maintain, you know, while we figure out some of these nuances and while we figure out what these core journeys, what security and privacy look like in these core journeys, um, then, I mean, that then they must not be very competent, you know? I, and I don't think that, you know? I think that you got to have a trusting relationship with engineering and product. They bring a lot of value to this process. So I think that it's a frank conversation. If you don't have your core journeys, you got to talk through that issue. Why don't you have your core journeys, you know? And it it is not, I'm, I'm laughing a little bit, not, and not, not because it's a pejorative thing. It's just because you can get so deep into the abstraction of security and privacy and not even realize that you don't have your core journeys and you don't have nailed down like, okay, what are the security and privacy risks we got to control for in these, in these core journeys? That says you've gone down the rabbit hole too far, you know? And so I'd, I'd get out of that rabbit hole as quickly and efficiently and as effectively and deliberately as possible. Um, yeah, that's, a, my, that's my biggest piece of advice. I'd say, you know, with my, with my two seconds left, I'd say that the one other thing is, um, 
relationships are key. I, I, I say this to everybody. I try to really live this out in my life. I think that you got to nurture good relationships. Uh, the journeys are really important. Okay. But, but the other part of what I just said that I want to make sure is heard is that you have to trust um, your product and engineering folks. They have trained really hard and bring a lot of value to the table. It is not a war room every time you go in there um, to figure out like, how am I going to thwart, you know, product or engineering, you know, it's more like a war room for the user. It's figuring out what problems do we all need to prioritize and set our attention on? And what role do we each play? What expertise do we each bring to the table to help solve that problem? Not only in the short term, but in the long term, it's going to take a lot of patience and it, you got to nurture those relationships. It's, it's the most important part of the job, 100%. So that's my last little spiel. I love the war room for the user. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Michael, thank you so, so much. This has been hugely insightful. Every single conversation I have with you, I learn something new and I think about things in different ways. So for that, I thank you. And I hope everyone listening um, learned something from this and is going to take some of, you know, Michael's key takeaways into their own jobs. So thank you again, Michael. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Heidi. I, I really enjoy all of our conversations as well and the opportunity to, to, to speak out about these things. They're really important.